Appamata and its programs are supported by your generosity and your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you, Kim, for watching over us as we negotiate all these changes. Uh, I have a talk prepared for today, and I'm going to give it. But uh, first, I want to just talk about the devastating news that Vic shared yesterday uh, the death of Kevin Frost, one-time member of the Mother Sangha and the daughter of our wonderful friend, Darcy Schneider. And I was talking about this with Laurie yesterday. And we were both just saying so we, we have lost, each of us have lost many people through the disease of depression whose pain was so great that they thought that the best option was to end their life. I cannot imagine the pain that her family is experiencing now. And I ask you to please just join me in a moment of silence to extend our compassion A couple of weeks ago, Todd Bankler gave a wonderful talk in which he was talking about the, uh, the plans to restart the precepts program at Alpamai, which had been on hiatus. He led the first session of the precepts class for this year, last Tuesday. Uh, in that talk, he, he made some very important points and one of them was to a reminder that there are three kind of virtuous states or modes that are said to inform Buddhist practice, dana, shila, and bhavana. Bhavana being mindfulness, meditation, um, dana being generosity, shila 
is moral action, um, living a life of ethical uprightness. And he was saying that a lot of people want to skip over the other two and just go straight to Bhavana. It's, um, it's, it seems like uh, like a kind of escape sometimes to be able to get away from the world and, and be mindful and, and so on. At least people begin that way. At least if they're like me, they quickly find that they crash right into those other aspects of their lives in their sitting meditation. But um, Bhattan was making the point that we have, through the precepts, uh, which go back before the Buddha's time, uh, but were codified during the Buddha's time as modes of action for people following the Buddhist path, that we can, that we can examine our lives, we can examine our activities, and we can measure our aspirations against our activities. And that this is a this is another beautiful way to live. As the as the Buddha said of meditation, very simple following the breath meditation, that it's a beautiful way to live. It's also a beautiful way to live, to be upright, to be aware of your actions, to be aware of the impact as well as the intentions of your actions and how those can be informed by generosity and compassion. So this was all, all these reflections were touched off by a poem that I saw published in a magazine called The Three Penny Review in early March of this year, written by a Polish poet named Adam Zagajewski, and it is called um, The Poet Basho Prepares for His Journey. The Great Poet Basho Prepares for His Journey. And um, I, I will ask Nancy to put that up on the screen in just a moment. But I, I was troubled by the poem and I began exploring um, aspects of it. And as part of my exploration, I talked to a uh, Sangha member and a Zen mentor, Krzysztof Piekarski, and uh, asked him if he knew the poem in Polish, in po Polish pardon me, uh, and uh, if he could tell me about some questions I had about it. Uh, and he found the poem, and then he made, he asked his uncle, who lives in Warsaw, uh, to uh, make a recording of the poem read in Polish and uh, sent that to me. Um, and I, I, Nancy, would you just play it now? Wielki poeta Baszowy rusza w drogę. Po długich przygotowaniach wielki poeta Baszo rusza w drogę. Zaraz pierwszego dnia zdarza się, że przechodzi obok szlochającego dziecka, porzuconego przez rodziców. Zostawia je tam, na skraju gościńca, ponieważ, mówi, taka jest wola niebios. Idzie dalej, na północ, w stronę śniegu i rzeczy ukrytych, nieznanych. Powoli cichną odgłosy niedoskonałych miast, tylko strumienie chaotycznie przemawiają, a białe obłoki bawią się w nicość. 
So we, you saw, if you have it turned on, you saw the, the efforts of uh, Google transcription to deal with the Polish and get it into English. A very strange, very strange uh, effect there. I wanted to, uh, I just wanted to have the opportunity to play that poem in its original language. I'm very grateful to Christoph for that. And then Nancy, if you could switch back and put the poem up on the screen. So the great poet Basho begins his journey. Matsuo Basho was a famous Japanese poet, as many of you probably already know. Uh, he lived from 1644 to 1694 by our calendar. Um, he wrote a lot about travel and pilgrimages. He had a view of people as constantly in motion. And, it, and the motion was the biggest requirement for all of us. He loved the people around him. He loved the countryside, he loved the, all of nature, and wrote wonderful, wonderful poems, most of them in very short forms. But he, he did several travelogues, kind of prose narratives interspersed with poems that were uh, called forth by things he encountered on his journeys. And the most famous of those is called The Narrow Road to the Interior, or The Road to the North, uh, about a, a journey that he made very late in his life, uh, where he walked hundreds of miles and took boat rides and was in very bitter weather and almost froze to death and almost drowned. And, and also had time to go drinking with friends and to have symposia, which, you know, if you remember the Greek word symposium means drinking party. Uh, and to, to, in, to, make his additions to the great craft of Japanese poetry that he had um, inherited and wanted to strengthen for futures. So here in the 20th century is Adam Zankajewski. And I was very troubled by this poem in the first stanza. You will see that he says that Basho walked past a sobbing child abandoned by his parents and leaves him there because he says it's heaven's will. I could not find that in any translations of the narrow road to the interior, but just this weekend I found it in another uh, piece by Macho called The Records of a Weather Exposed Skeleton, Another Pilgrimage Journey. And um, I want to read that section because it, it gives a different picture of uh, Abasha than uh, comes across. Somewhat different. On the bank of the Fuji River, we came upon an abandoned child. About age two, its sobs stirring our pity. The child's parents must have been crushed by the waves of this floating world to have left him here beside the rushing river to pass away like you. Thought the harsh autumn winds would surely scatter the wish clover blossoms in the night and wither them, and him also in the frosty dew of dawn. 
I left him what food I could. And he follows with a haiku. Hearing the monkey's cries, what of the child abandoned to the autumn wind? How can this happen? Did his father despise him? Did his mother neglect him? I think not. This must be the will of heaven. We mourn his fate. So, this, as I say, troubled by this, and I, I wondered if, if Adam Zagajewski had made this up. As I say, he did not. But I didn't find that out until yesterday. So, I'm going to read this out loud, and then I have a few reflections on it. After lengthy preparations, the great poet Basho begins his journey. The very first day, he happens to walk past a sobbing child. Abandoned by his parents, he leaves him there by the roadside because, he says, such is heaven's will. He walks on northward toward the snow and things unseen, unknown. Slowly, the imperfect city's sounds grow still. Only streams hold forth chaotically while white clouds play at nothingness. He hears an oriole's song, delicate, uncertain, like a prayer, like weeping. So, first I reacted and I thought, gosh, Del Basho was a good guy. What, what's going on? How can he do that? And then I realized that the poem was a mirror to me, that I. I wouldn't use the term heaven's will, but I say, you know, when I see that homeless people under bridges in Austin, I think, well, I don't know what I can do. I don't know what choices I can make that would be different. Maybe they need to be free to live with their choices. That sounds a lot like abandoning someone's heaven's will, now that I think about it that way. So, and I, I just now I'm thinking of the context of Adam Zagajewski's life. By the way, he died in March. He died on March 21st. He had taught at the University of Houston. And I had friends in Houston who were good friends of his and just loved him. But I'm just thinking of the history of Poland. And the, all the ravages of World War II and the, and the period afterwards. The police state of communist Poland and the, the suffering that was imposed by gigantic historical forces that it seemed like heaven's will. It seemed like what could be done. And yet there were people who stood up in Poland and demanded change. We're able to affect change. Reflecting on my own life and my own approach to things, I know that I spent a lot of time in avoidance. Not opening emails because it might be bad news. Not talking to people like I should. I have a feeling could be cheered by someone reaching out because I don't know what to say. And it just seems like 
if I'm willing to condemn Basho for ascribing such activities to heaven's will, that I have to really look in the mirror at myself of what that means. And I, I know that from talking with others over the years and, and very recently that there are people who are struggling with what could be the limits of what they need to give, can give. How can they care for themselves, not tip over into what has been called idiot compassion? A very harsh phrase, which I hate. But not, not lose their own integrity in trying to care for others. even when it's a matter of life and death. The seduction of poetry, of sitting in a beautiful room with a candle burning and incense in the air, doing things that are aesthetically pleasing, gentle and affirming, those are seductions. We still have to live in this world where we are connected in more ways than we can count everyone around us. I, I, I left out something when I was describing other people talking to me about wanting to find a way to care for themselves when there are so many demands on them, but such strong demands from people that they care about. What I left out was they are motivated by this aspiration to be kind, to hear the needs, to hear the cries for help of the people around them, to be compassionate, to be effectively compassionate. So this is the real knife's edge that we are balanced on, I think. I want to close with two readings. First is um, The Five Remembrances. It's in our chant book on page 40. Would you ring the bell when I uh, get to the... Yeah, I'll, I'll raise my hand at the end of each line. I am of the nature to grow old. There is no way to escape growing old. I am of the nature to have ill health. There is no way to escape having ill health. I am of the nature to die. There is no way to escape death. All that is dear to me and everyone I love are of the nature of change. There is no escape from being separated from them. My deeds are my closest companions. I am the beneficiary of my deeds. My deeds are the ground on which I stand. And finally, I want to quote from Frank Ostaskewski, another great Polish-American writer uh, from his book, 
the five invitations that match the five remembrances as well. His invitations are, don't wait. Welcome everything, push away nothing. Bring your whole self to the experience. Find a place of rest in the middle of things and cultivate a little mind. Our practice offers us pathways to gratitude, to awareness, and to unease, and to striving so that we can meet our aspiration to connect with others, and to help where we can, and to live our life as best we can. suggest that we have a small group, you know, for people to share whatever thoughts they have. Uh, groups of three, that works. Thank you very much. And uh, I would like to take, before we do our service, I'd like to take about five minutes uh, open for people to share any reflections they would like to share. I'm curious about what the third stanza would have been and whether he would have, um, having had this experience in the woods with the bird, whether the next time passing the child, whether he would have um, tried to do something or would he was this comment because this was the beginning of his life journey and he hadn't been awakened yet. So those are all questions. We had different opinions in our little group about what was what actually happened, which is good. A bird song is something that Christoph pointed out to me when we were talking about it. That has a special place in the poem too, as you're saying. There's that line, the very first day, you know, and how how kind of innocent and we are that very first day of our journey, all the mistakes we made. You know, I remember asking my teacher, does a dog have Buddha nature my very first day? Kim, you're lucky because I actually know what, what happens in the third stanza. Because how do you know? I, some things you know. And I know that in this particular stanza, he goes into a pub and has a drink and smokes a cigarette. So mystery solved. Okay, thank you. I can sleep tonight. What I was just thinking, Kim, you're an artist. When the 
art piece is finished, it's finished. What if this poem is finished? What is the last thing you said? What is? What if this poem is finished? What if like, this poem? Like, like it's an art piece. When yeah. the art piece is finished, it's finished. This poem is finished. <laughs> I just thought about that. Maybe it's a sequel. The pub is a sequel. Uh, well, see, that's that's just a continuation. Do you feel that way about your art piece? Uh, I don't know when when it was finished. You know, it's kind of like the next piece is. So, but and then the next piece, and then the next piece. No, but it's actually what you finish. You actually finish. Yeah. So, what if this poem is actually finished? I'll have to think about that. I think that's the nice thing about poetry is that it's not under obligation to give you a nicely resolved narrative one way or the other. That's not poetry's job. Says the poet. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's a strong Buddhist message. He ends looking at nothingness. can't see but that's my my acceptance that this is the poem as a finite thing thank you um i think it's kind of a mixed message because the first um stanza um he leaves the, the crying child knowing that the child has no parents and says it's heaven's will and then in the next stanza you know things open up and it's beauty and nothingness and but he ends with um and the the oriole sings but it sounds like weeping i think that was the last line so there's sort of a connection back to the first stanza but it brings a question to me of in terms of the child crying you know what can we do what's the appropriate response you know from our practice point of view who's to say that basha would have actually been a better caretaker as an itinerant wandering poet you know like maybe the next person coming along would have seen the child and been the actual right person to care for that child <laughs> Or maybe, or maybe the actual, the crying child represents the world. You know, the world is crying and we're walking past it. You know, pause, take a look, stop. You know, what, what can we do? Thank you. Well, let's move to our, in just a moment, let's move to our closing service and uh, i want to read one poem it's actually the first haiku in the journey into the north they, they wrote into the interior um, as he this is a poem that uh, basho pinned up on his door as he left beneath this old straw roof a new generation will decorate 
for the Spring Festival.